This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas Hospital Association. Hello there, and welcome to Plain Spoken, a podcast produced by the Kansas Hospital Association. I am Tara Mays with the KHA, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm so excited to be hosting today's discussion um, around the, the hot topic of telehealth in the state of Kansas. And joining me for today's conversation are two guests who have done a tremendous amount of work in this area. First joining us today is David Jordan, who is president of the United Methodist Health Ministry Fund, who has spent the last 16 years working on healthcare issues in Kansas, having served as executive director of the Alliance for a Healthy Kansas and as the Dental Access Project Director for Community Catalyst, a leading national consumer health advocacy organization. David holds a master's in public administration from the University of Kansas and a Bachelor of Science in Speech Communication from Emerson College. Welcome, David. And also joining us today is Dr. Dorothy Hughes, who is the Assistant Professor of Population Health and Assistant Dean of Student Affairs at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Salina. Welcome today, both Dorothy and David. We're so grateful that you could be here. Before we get started, I just want to tell you how, how great it is to be talking to you and, and welcome you to Plain Spoken. Well, thanks for having us, Tara. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. As I mentioned, I know that your teams have really been engaging um, with Kansans from a variety of different areas on the topic of telehealth as we've gone through the course of the last couple of years and the ebbs and flows of providing Kansans with health care during the course of you know, the pandemic and COVID-19 response. Can you tell us just a little bit about the process that you all have gone through in the state of Kansas, kind of collecting data on telehealth usage and how that's really shifted over the course of the last couple of years? How about David? We'll have you go first and then Dr. Hughes. Great question, Tara. I think it's, as we think about telehealth and the journey that Kansas providers have been been through over the last couple of years, we really need to look back at the beginning of the pandemic when providers and patients were really scrambling to figure out how to access and provide care during the early months when offices were closed or had limited hours. And we were trying to do our best to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 before we really had the infrastructure to prevent the transmission of the virus. In partnering with the Kansas Hospital Association and other providers, we were having conversations about how we could better understand what this public health crisis led to. There was a public health emergency declared. Many providers did shift to delivering care through telehealth. As part of that shift in delivering care, many policies changed in terms of how telehealth was paid for, how patients access telehealth, how providers could provide telehealth. Uh, and the infrastructure needed to provide care. So we knew at some point the public health emergency would end. It's still ongoing, but we expect it to end at some point in the near future. We knew that policies that had been suspended may go back to pre-pandemic structures, but we also knew that maybe some innovations would be gathered during this time. So in partnering groups with groups like KHA and others, we thought, well, we're living through this real life experience. Why don't we partner with all of the provider groups in Kansas to explore how they're experiencing telehealth, what they're learning from offering it, what policy changes have enabled them to make it make telehealth a medium that worked for them and for their patients and how their patients are experiencing that. So early on in 2020, we were able to pull together uh, KHA and the eight other statewide provider groups to, to really survey them on their experience. Dr. Hughes can talk a little bit more about that survey 
but since we've collaborated not just on how providers have experienced telehealth, but how patients have experienced telehealth, all with the goal of understanding how these experiences could help inform and shape future policy so that the telehealth delivery system could work better for both patients and providers in Kansas. Thanks, David. I think you've really kind of laid out the, the journey that we've taken over the course of the last couple of years. Dr. Hughes, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work in this area? Sure. So um, when David let me know that he was collaborating with all of these provider you know, associations, I thought, what a great opportunity to try and get as much variety as possible in terms of perspectives. You know, and we really wanted to understand at the outset, we started with providers and administrators in that survey that David mentioned. And primarily we were asking about things like utilization and reimbursement, um, what they were experiencing with payment parity, their patient experiences, how they perceived their patients were experiencing telehealth, and then the workforce issues that they were running into um, in trying to also provide care in this modality. And so after we surveyed providers, um, and administrators. Um, David also um, got together a poll of uh, consumers, and so that was kind of part two of this work. And so we were able to get a really good sampling across the state of you know, consumers, patients, um, and their sentiments about, um, uh, about telehealth. And then we moved into follow-up interviews with some of the providers and administrators who had responded to our survey. Um, and in a one-on-one -on -one kind of format, we asked them um, about the same kind of domains, those same areas we had asked about in the survey, but we wanted more in-depth details. And I just cannot say thank you enough to those individuals who gave so generously of their time and really, you know, gave us a lot of candor <laughs> about what they were experiencing, you know, both the good and the bad in the pandemic and then kind of um, trying to transition into whatever the new normal is, you know, what whatever that is. Um, and then um, as the last kind of phase um, of the work, we went into consumer focus groups. Um, and so we put out the call, you know, through, through our partners and through provider organizations and um, individual sort of healthcare locations, trying to get their, their patients together. And through the, um, you know, the miracle that is Zoom, we were able to bring people together across the state to share their experiences. And it was really amazing to hear people kind of sharing what was similar about their experiences and what was different and why and kind of all the different circumstances, you know, people have been facing, you know, over the last couple of years. And so I think we really did succeed in getting a huge variety of perspectives, you know, different kinds of professionals, different kinds of, you know, patients and consumers and through several different methods. So I think we've, we've compiled some really rich information. Well, it sounds like you all have really done a lot of work in both journeying with the providers who've adopted telehealth um, as a, you know, as a way to really be able to serve patients, but also patients' perspectives of kind of what is their interaction with telehealth when they think about their access to healthcare um, as we've gone through the course of the last couple of years? Like many things, I think during the pandemic, we've all changed the way we interact. And so it sounds like your work is really reflective of 
kind of that overall experience and journey that our state has walked over the, the course of the last couple of years. So now I'm really curious now that I know a little bit about all the work that you all have done. Tell me a little bit about what your findings and hearings are, what Kansas really are telling us about their experiences with telehealth and what they might like to see when they think about telehealth, not just today as we use it right now or even early in the pandemic, but how do they want to interact with telehealth as we look to kind of going forward? Dr. Hughes, maybe I'll have you go first and then David. Sure. So I think the the big headline, so to speak, and the like flashing neon sign, if you will, is that both patients and providers value telehealth as an option, but nobody thinks that telehealth is actually some kind of cure-all. You know, it was very clear from the provider interviews in particular that there's uh, there's a set of services that it makes sense, you know, to deliver via telehealth as long as that's what both the patient and provider want and, and that it works, you know, kind of technologically um, and delivers high quality care. But there's also a set of things that are just not ever going to work via telehealth because, you know, can't reach through a screen. <laughs> so, you know, if you need to be hands-on, if you need to have labs taken, you know, if, if the provider really needs to see you in person, then that still should happen. You know, both groups of people, providers and, and patients alike, you know, they really appreciate the flexibility that telehealth offers. And they were also very clear about pros and cons, like everything is a trade-off. And so sure, you know, you can see your provider uh, via video conference, perhaps, but, you know, it's not as personal. And so, like, that's the downside. But also, it means you don't miss as much work, let's say. And so, you know, there are pros and cons to all of it. And I think that, you know, all of the people that we talk to, you know, they would like some kind of happy medium, you know, that allows, you know, the right care in the right place, you know, to be delivered for every patient. And, you know, telehealth is just one more tool in the toolbox, so to speak. David, how about you? Well, building on what Dr. Hughes had mentioned, I think pre-pandemic, we knew that just about 10% of the population had utilized telehealth in some way. Um, that number has gone up during the pandemic to about half of Americans are using telehealth or have used telehealth. So we've seen a huge uptick in folks that have interacted with telehealth. Um, in doing the polling that we did in partnership with the Reach Healthcare Foundation, who's been a great partner on our telehealth research, 86% um, of Kansans say they support expanding or maintaining telehealth options in Kansas. And I think that goes to the point that Dr. Yus has meant. Not every service is intended to be delivered by telehealth, but largely Kansans see telehealth as an opportunity to access healthcare in a way that makes sense for them. They can pick and choose which procedures work for them to be delivered by telehealth. It can enhance their ability to access healthcare without having to travel long distances, without having to take time off from work, without having to find childcare. And largely, nearly nine out of 10 Kansans support um, expanding or maintaining telehealth for those reasons. Um, and I think that's part of the issue that policymakers have to figure out as we think about what's next. It's how can we accommodate the flexibility that works so well for Kansans, um, and at the same time, making sure that we have the right guardrails in place to deliver quality care and that we're um, doing what's right for both providers and patients. And I think we saw um, large support from both provider and patients to figure this out. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes when we talk about telehealth, uh, we think about it a little bit like some of those Zoom calls 
um, that Dorothy, that Dr. Hughes, I think was mentioning earlier that, that you all kind of utilize that in your, in your information gathering process. Um, but what we hear at KJ is that there are a lot more complexities to making the global telehealth model really fit and providing the right care at the right time uh, and doing it in a safe way, as you mentioned, David, um, that makes sense for the patient and the provider um, and has those guardrails in place. Um, can you really talk a little bit about how telehealth plays a role in, in providing the right care at the right time? And when you're seeking specialized services versus just urgent care or more standard typical types of care, um, from both a patient and a provider perspective. I know we've heard a lot about it being a benefit of potentially keeping people from having to go to higher levels of care settings, um, particularly in certain communities. Um, you know, think of, you know, throughout the course of the pandemic, certainly those are, that are in the aging population or are in specialized care settings can utilize telehealth even at times not related necessarily to COVID, but if there's a flu spike or something like that, um, and they don't wanna go in and be exposed to those things. So just talk a little bit about how telehealth really fits into that experience. Um, maybe I'll have Dr. Hughes, you go, and then David. Sure, I think it's important to keep in mind that you know telehealth is a way to deliver care, but it is not the care. <laughs> I, I, I think that's, Kind of an important differentiation. And so when we think about sort of the continuum of care and where all the possible settings and possible types of care, you know, with which we might think about telehealth, you know, I think about the whole spectrum from things like preventive and primary care all the way to acute care, whether that's, you know, I'm sick and I need to go to a doctor's office or whether that's, you know, hospitalization. And then you get into post-acute care, you know, maybe you've just gotten out of the hospital and you need some rehabilitation services. And then we get into talking about things like skilled nursing, you know, and home care and long-term care situations. And no matter what setting or kind of health need we're talking about, potentially telehealth could play a role. You know, let's say that someone has gone in for their physical, they've had some labs done and a couple values come back abnormal and they want to do a follow-up visit with the doctor to talk about those values and if there's any you know, additional specialty care maybe that they need. Well, that's a conversation. And so that's something that could more easily occur via telehealth and not necessarily have to be in person if there's not kind of a, a laying on of hands you know, that needs to occur in, in follow-up. And you know, let's say that you just got out of the hospital and you've got a broken leg and it's actually really hard to get around. And so it's very difficult for you to physically go into the office. You know, that may be something where you talk to your doctor and, and they're like, yeah, just go ahead and stay home. Let's talk about your pain level. Let's talk about how you can manage you know, this going forward and when you really do need to come in and see me. Um, and so I think no matter the situation you're talking about, that's a really, it's an important conversation for the, the physician and the patient to have together to decide like what is best in this particular circumstances and what modality, you know, makes, makes the most sense. That was great. Thank you so much, David. You know, I think at the end of the day, telehealth offers benefits to Kansans. It improves access to care, both in urban and rural settings. It increases the continuity of care, decreases time away from work or families and allows providers to better contain and manage costs. And I do think that, you know, when we're thinking about what is well suited for telehealth, I, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity to provide initial group assessments, chronic care management, 
quick follow-up um, counseling, mental health um, follow-up. So I think there's a lot of things that are well-suited. And then things that may not be well-suited are things like group therapy, hospital-based specialties, detox services, obviously residential services. So I really think uh, a lot depends on the patient and provider, but there are opportunities to see the benefits of telehealth and it's going to depend on the patient and provider, but not everything can be delivered by telehealth. And it's how do we make sure that it works in a way that makes sense for patient, provider, and the system. I think that's really great. And I think it gives us kind of a good lay of the land on where we are and what Kansans want. So I'm curious, the last time our state has taken on sort of ensuring that telehealth can be a part of that continuum of care that you all have both talked about. Um, from a policy perspective, do you get the sense that there is really kind of a need to ensure, now that we've been through the last couple of years, that telehealth uh, remains uh, a part of that continuum of care for patients? Uh, David, I think you mentioned, so, you know, your studies are showing that over 80% of Kansans agree that they want this. What sort of policy pieces are you seeing that need to be considered to ensure that that is part of the equation going forward? Maybe David and, and then Dr. Hughes. Sure. Great question, Tara. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's policy, policy, and more policy that we need to pay attention to as we think about telehealth. You know, as I mentioned earlier, during the pandemic, we saw expanded reimbursement and parity in payment for services offered by telehealth. We saw the ability for some privacy rules regarding devices to change. So, and also around audio only use of telehealth. So patients could access telehealth services, behavioral health services through telephone only, or through their iPhone and devices, personal devices that worked for them. Uh, one of the big, big pieces of policy that I think was helpful was relaxed rules on what we say originating in distance sites so that patients could access telehealth from their home, not having to go to a, some type of a site like a clinic and access telehealth remotely from there. Uh, and the same thing where a doctor or a nurse could or behavioral health provider could start providing telehealth services from their home or from a different site. They didn't have to go to the clinic to do it. You know, these uh, and the ability of out-of-state providers to provide services. So these policy changes that went into a, in effect during the pandemic are things that we're going to have to assess from a policy standpoint, both administrative policy, you know, what Medicaid pays for, the rate they pay, as well as from a legislative policy in terms of what's required of private insurers to pay for. I think the big pieces are the payment parity, so paying the same for telehealth services as you are for in-person services. The relaxed rules around audio only, I think there's been a huge appetite to make sure we can improve access to behavioral health services in parts of our state that don't have good access to high-speed broadband. It's been a benefit for patients to be able to access some behavioral health through audio. And then the originating and distant site might be just up as far up the list of important policies to pay attention to as the payment parity. So just having the flexibility for both patient and provider to provide and access care at a site that works for them. So those three pieces are going to be really important as part of the policy debate. Thankfully, Kansas was relatively early on the adopter. In 2018, we did establish telehealth as some parity for telehealth, just saying that all payers had to recognize telehealth and services defined by that. It's just how much they pay is the difference, and that's the payment parity issue. And then the other piece that has come out since the pandemic was we clarified some rules on the ability to use out-of-state providers. So that's going to help with 
the adequacy of uh, the, num the network of providers that can offer services in Kansas, which, which could be a benefit to, to Kansans. Thank you, David. Dr. Hughes? Well, first of all, I think as we get more into policy, I want to acknowledge the, the work of my colleagues at University of Kansas, particularly in the Center for Telemedicine and Telehealth. There are a lot of really great experts over there who have um, a lot to offer as well. So um, I also don't want to come off like I'm the only authority on this. <laughs> there are really lots of great people doing good work. But I think when, it's, when I think about you know, this research specifically and what I've heard from providers and patients kind of through these findings, you know, I think about, you know, all of the laws and regulations that are already in place related to care. And then I ask myself, okay, so do all those laws and regulations still apply if we're talking about care delivered via telehealth, you know, and if people have concerns about things like privacy or cybersecurity, you know, what are all of the things that are already in place that maybe we just need to tweak a little bit to ensure that it works for both providers and patients. You know, and as people have concerns about quality, let's say, you know, I think it's worth looking at the mechanisms that are already in place that hold providers accountable for providing high quality care. Um, and then to say, okay, so does all that still work if we're talking about telehealth as a modality? So again, I think it's really important to keep in mind, you know, it's the care that's being delivered is what we want to be really high quality. And like telehealth is, is just a modality. So how can we make sure that all of these policies are aligned and that they work for both providers and patients. And I would really love to see, you know, both of those groups continue to be at the table as we are working on policies related to telehealth. Um, because I do think that we've we've learned an awful lot over the last couple of years, but it's providers and patients who've really been living it. <laughs> you know, they they know, you know, what they need. And I think we ought to we ought to trust them. And you know, I'm not a um, I'm not a clinician myself. I'm a PhD kind of doctor, but you know, I work with a lot of uh, clinicians, and you know, I I trust their judgment, and I think that continuing to have you know them and patients at the table to explain sort of the practical you know side of policy consequences is is really important. I appreciate that, Dr. Hughes. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we've talked about a lot here today is about, you know, telehealth as a workforce solution. And I think as we've talked about it, we've talked about, you know, the ability of, of patients, kind of that perspective of not having to leave the workforce and being able to access healthcare. But as we get more into um, the rural emergency hospital model um, and workforce challenges on the clinical side of things, um, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on the workforce issue from both perspectives inside the healthcare setting and outside the healthcare setting as we talk about stretching resources and providing different models of care and modality. Maybe, David, could you maybe uh, weigh in on that from your perspective? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Tara. I think as we think about the workforce, we know healthcare is no exception. You know, we are at record levels of uh, employment, full employment in Kansas, and we also are seeing a lot of transitions, folks jumping jobs. We know how hard it is in the healthcare space to recruit not just nurses, but any uh, members of the care team to our, particularly our rural hospitals, but many urban hospitals as well. Uh, I do think that telehealth offers the ability to um, provide some relief on the workforce front so that we can be accessing 
some of the routine services that may not exist in a community uh, remotely. There's certainly different groups that work well in Kansas with many of our critical access hospitals like Avera Care. Um, you know, and then I think outside of the traditional care team, the health fund's been working with providers like community health workers, like home visitors. Um, and both of those professions are ways to add culturally competent members to the health system and not their traditional health system, but help folks navigate the health system, help improve patient experience, but also can be done via telehealth. I mean, the state of Kansas actually funded with just $1.2 million, the expansion of a statewide home visiting program that's done entirely virtually. Now, is this going to replace every single home visiting program? No, but it's a great option for families that couldn't offer access home visiting before, but that's going to feed into improving the care folks receive um, postpartum right after they leave the hospital. And the same thing with community health workers. Community health workers can help folks access telehealth, um, but they can also provide visits um, virtually to help connect folks to the appropriate level of care and maybe telehealth where it makes sense. So I think we need to get creative about how we approach both short-term and long-term workforce needs in Kansas. Um, we know that um, our population is leaving rural communities and also getting older, getting thicker, and uh, one opportunity is getting more diverse, but there's longstanding disparities. So we really need to be creative in how we approach these issues. I think telehealth and then folks like community health workers and home visitors can play an important role going forward. I think that's a really good point. You know, I, I think those community and in-home healthcare workers can really be a critical resource when you're talking about telehealth usage, um, and and those that maybe even a, the few that haven't adopted that can they can be helpful uh, in providing that continuum of care. Dr. Hughes, do you have any thoughts on that workforce kind of front? Sure. Well, it actually occurred to me as as I was preparing to talk to you today <laughs> that really what I was hearing from providers in this research is that telehealth may help address what I call maldistribution. So, you know, there are some areas of our state like Wyandotte and Johnson and Sedgwick that have, you know, close to enough providers or even a surplus provider of providers, depending on the specialty. You know, but there are obviously other areas of the state with severe shortages. And so telehealth can help kind of shift patients, if you will, to people who may have room, you know, in their workloads or connect them to specialists and subspecialists who may not physically be in their area, but they, they need to access. But telehealth does not address a shortage. So we have both in this country. We have both a maldistribution and a shortage of providers. You know, as we think particularly about rural care. And so while, you know, David mentioned kind of short and long-term, you know, kind of solutions. And so in the short term, I think telehealth can help us on the maldistribution side, um, but we still have to work on recruitment and retention, you know, on, on the long-term side, because we do physically need, you know, providers, not only in rural areas, but in um, many specialties, even in urban areas um, in Kansas. So. I think we have to look holistically at the workforce and be strategic about, you know, where do we place them and how do we connect them with the patients who need them. Um, and definitely, you know, I, I don't want to short shrift retention, you know, either, you know, the providers that we currently have, they've been through a lot, especially in the last couple of years. And we've got to find ways to, you know, support them um, either through current means or figuring out new ways <laughs> to support them. 
um, and you know provide incentives uh, for them to stay and incentives for for others to come and practice in in underserved areas in particular. So um, you know telehealth is a piece of the puzzle, but kind of like we started off saying, you know it's not a cure all for any of this. Yeah, I appreciate that. So it sounds like we have a pretty good lay of the land of where we are currently with the work that you all have been doing with Kansans. Um, I'm curious um, if you could tell me a little bit about what are some of the next steps in your research and what's on the horizon in terms of, you know, this data and the, and the resources that are available for providers and patients when it comes to, to telehealth. What should we be anticipating next? Yeah, well, I'm going to let David get more into kind of resources and, and what people can really, you know, get their hands on and, and read more about what's coming. For me, my research is shifting back into what it really was pre-pandemic, <laughs> which is focusing on the rural health workforce, you know, more generally speaking. Um, and, and I'm really excited to dig back into that and kind of see where we are after, after these last couple areas. And you know, I'm, I feel very fortunate that, you know, groups like David's and others have supported the telehealth research because I do think it really informs, you know, just anything we're going to do from, from here on out. You know, it gives us a really important picture about what's been going on and what providers and patients have been experiencing because the kinds of things that we found out are not just about telehealth. I mean, I found out, you know, as people were, like I said, very honest with us in the interviews and focus groups, like, this is what's been going on in their lives, you know, that they're sharing with us. And so there's a lot more information there about, you know, things we should be considering um, in workforce research um, and in healthcare access uh, work going forward. But like I said, I'll let David take it away as far as um, featuring the work and where people can find more information. Thanks, Doc. Um, you know, just from a, an immediate next step, I do think that there will be conversations within the Kansas legislature and in Congress to figure out some of these policy issues. I think that there's a demand from patients and providers to, to really um, look at payments, where and how patients access services, and then um, providers that can utilize telehealth. So I know that there's going to be a lot debated in Congress and what they can ma maintain and what CMS can, how they can continue to extend their rules and paying, paying for telehealth services. And I know the state legislature here in Kansas is going to look at this. I mean, the legislature has looked at the research that Dr. Hughes has done both for the health fund and other research she's done through the University of Kansas Medical Center and many of her colleagues have done as well. You know, I do think we need to take this larger lens and sort of what is the future of rural health and what is the future of our rural communities? I think we know that in order to sustain uh, our rural communities, we need to make sure that there's access to healthcare. We need to make sure there's access to um, early childhood services, both early childhood opportunities and early childhood, young children, mental health. And then we, we know that there needs to be a good education system. High-speed broadband under, under, underlies all of those issues. So we need to make sure that we continue to expand broadband to each community in our state so that the same opportunities exist. And again, I think this is where um, you know, telehealth is a part of all of these pieces. We need to make sure that providers like you know, community health workers are there to help make sure patients can access uh, broadband and sign up for programs that are available for them, but also help them navigate the technology that exists. So I think that there's the long-term piece that telehealth isn't the solution to any of the all of the challenges related to healthcare delivery in rural communities, but it's an important part 
of making sure access can be maintained and expanded for underserved Kansans, as well as an important way for providers to provide care and to address short-term, I think, uh, male distribution issues that uh, Dr. Yu's highlighted. So I think there's a lot of important work ahead, but I think the future is bright because we're having these conversations and we're willing to take them on. Well, I appreciate that perspective. It's very optimistic and we look forward to lots more um, work from you all on both workforce front as well as um, some of those access to care things that you really highlighted, I think, very well, David. Um, I, I do one more thing, kind of as we've talked about the course of the last couple of years um, and really some of the highs and lows, uh, uh, optimism on the horizon, um, but certainly some of the struggles that we've kind of gone through and making the best of those struggles. Um, I would just ask you all if you wanted to share one thing with our healthcare workers in the state of Kansas before you go today, what would that be? And I'll start with you, David, and then go to you, Dr. Hughes. I would just like to share my deep appreciation for all of the work they've done over the last two and a half years and that we know they're going forward. They've, they've served their communities and their patients so admirably um, at the most trying times, you know, both with the uncertainty on the pandemic, the disease, disease and virus spreading, and then to have to do it short-staffed and under enormous pressure where everything is viewed through political lenses. So um, I have a deep appreciation and I'm so thankful for all of the healthcare workers throughout Kansas um, and Kansas hospitals. Thanks, David. Dr. Hughes? I also wanna, wanna echo that and just say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who has worked so hard, continues to work so hard every day um, in healthcare across the state. And especially from a medical education perspective, you know, I know we ask a lot of you because we also throw students at you. <laughs> and I just so appreciate everyone out there who has interacted with our students, particularly again, over the last couple of years, because I know they have learned invaluable lessons and you know, they, came, they come back to us on campus and tell us about the amazing things they've been able to see and do. And you know, that, I mean, that's just irreplaceable. You know, we cannot replicate in the classroom the fantastic things uh, that students experience. Well, a fantastic and devastating, you know, both things that students um, see out in the field. And so I just thank you all so much for everything you do uh, and for teaching on top of that. We just, we really appreciate you. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us today on our Plain Spoken podcast hosted by the Kansas Hospital Association. It has truly been a pleasure to speak with both of you about an issue that I know is very important to Kansas providers and Kansas patients. So with that, I want to also send a big thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode. You can find each episode of Plain Spoken, a KHA podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to follow and rate our podcast, and we will see you next time on Plain Spoken. For more information on Kansas health issues, go to kha-net.org.